This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Greetings, one. Greetings, all. Thank you very much for tuning into this chat featuring Joe Haley from the Tasmanian outfit, Psychroptic. The catalyst for the chat is due to the launch of a new album from the lads. It is titled Divine Council, and it'll see a light of day on August 5th, 2022. If you've tuned in via the podcast apps, I've got a tune to share with you. As usual, I've picked a banger. This one is titled Exodus, and the reason I've picked this one is because we actually talk about it throughout the conversation and tune in to Joe's chops. Holy shit, this guitarist can truly bring it. Masterful. I mean, he and Matt Wilcock. Do you need any more these days than those two? Almost not. So here it is, Exodus from Psychroptic. Once the conversation is finished, I should add, you'll only hear the tune. If you're listening via the podcast apps, once that song is over, we'll dive into the conversation. For all of you people on YouTube, we're going to dive into the chat right now. Let's go.
Are you on the road at the moment? Um, no, not not really. I mean, we start. We've got a few shows coming up, but then we don't really hit the road till September. Head to the states then. So um, yeah, you do. Yeah. No, yeah, so it's just, just it's just a couple of one-offs. Like I think we've got Alice Springs next week, and then like yeah, there's like there's like a Hobart show, and then a a Melbourne show. Um, yeah, but that's kind of it before the yeah the big run over in the states. Yeah, are you coming? Do you, do you plan on coming up here at all uh, anytime after the after the states run with Fallujah? Um, like with Fallujah, no, no not not that I know of. No. <laughs> <laughs> What about you guys by yourselves? Do you think you'll make it up here? Queensland, that is. Sorry when I say up here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, the plan is to try and get around everywhere, but I don't know. It's just been, I suppose it's been kind of difficult the last, you know, the last couple of years, obviously, to, to get a, you know, to get around and stuff. But, um, yeah, our plan is to kind of hit, hit everywhere that we can. We did Sydney a little while back, but, um, yeah. Yeah, hoping hoping to hit everywhere, especially once the the album drops. Yeah, we'll try and get around the place. That was with Maddie and the lads in uh, Werewolves, wasn't it? That show. Yeah, that was that was their first show. Um, really? Yeah, it was absolutely crushing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, probably the most brutal thing I've seen for for a long time. When Matt told me that that was going ahead, I was like, I, I know, you know, we're not, when I say we're like third or fourth tier, really, aren't we? You know, us and Perth are sort of on the same same ledger in the, in that respect. But um, God, I would have loved to have seen that show up here. I mean, two two of the greatest all time Australian extreme metal bands, um, yeah, on on a build together, performing. <laughs> I mean, you guys are just getting better. Let's face it, and the strength and the quality of both of the most recent albums from Psychoptic and Werewolves, just yeah, unbelievable no, power. Yeah, cheers. Yeah. Yeah, I think um especially with like the, the wearable stuff those guys have been doing, I'm pretty sure like I think that all came about like as a pretty much as a lockdown thing. I don't think they really started until COVID hit. <laughs> then they just I think in that space of time they kind of punched out what, like four albums. <laughs> um It was something like that, yeah. Yeah. So I think it started off as just as a pro- project. Um, but yeah, I guess they were into it and I think, think they rehearsed it a bit and they were pretty stoked with it and yeah, um, I'm glad they started doing it live because yeah, it's crushing. It's good. Mm. Just talking about the tour with, um, I've spoken to Scott, Scott Carsez before, uh, you Mm. guys and, and Fallujah, perfect match, by the way, I think Fallujah, you guys, uh, you guys are certainly well known in Australia, but certainly underrated in a global sense. And I think that's the same for Fallujah in a global sense as well. And Scott's a magnificent guitarist, as are you. So, did how, how did given that they're with Nuclear Blast, I think they're still with Nuclear Blast. Was it what is it that the management company came together to organise that tour? Can in other words, can you tell me how that tour came about? Um, oh, this is kind of a this is Dave's realm, pretty much. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, he kind of. Yeah, he manages that whole side of that whole side of things. But I think it's, it kind of just works out that like um, you know, it's more just booking agents kind of just looking out for the tours that are you know bands that are you know trying to hit the road at the same time, and just different mm-hmm. offers come in, and you know we just try to line up, you know, tee up what's going to work. And I'm pretty sure we just heard that um, you know Fallujah were looking. I think they're dropping an album at the same time, or they just did maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah, they're hit, hitting the road at the moment. So yeah, it just kind of worked out. And um, that's usually how it is. Like, you know, it's usually just trying to find the bands that are, you know, touring in support of an album or release or something like that. And mm. yeah, just try and, try and match up what, what works. This is, that was just a, um, you know, some pairings aren't as good as others, but yeah, like you said, this one's a pretty perfect one. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Yeah, I hardly think any Australian fans know of Fallujah. I know about them because of the interview cycles and what's offered. And uh, I listened to the band's album from 2017 or thereabouts and thought it was crushing. Mm. And then they released that one in 2019. I can't remember the name of any of them, but I was so impressed with what they were doing. And then it just, they never sort of took off to the next level. So hopefully for both of you, this tour, because it is across, it's across, um, two months isn't it or a month and a half across all of north america including canada of course yeah yeah it's a long one i think it starts like september 15 ish or something and then goes into yeah october it's about yeah about a october. month yeah. yeah so um yeah and, yeah and covers you know obviously most yeah most of the states and there's a few canadian dates in there as well um but yeah yeah it should be awesome looking forward to it you're a veteran of touring, though, because you guys have done that that trek before, which I know can be can be quite brutal, can't it? In terms of the van, sleeping in the van, and then you know short turnarounds. Yeah, yeah. Like the states was, um, I mean, yeah, we've been doing it for a long time. Like our approach for a long time was to try and uh, at least do like Europe and the states at least once a year. You know, try and cover both. Um, Europe's always that's always the comfortable one because usually I'm like a, a nightliner, usually share it with a bunch of bunch of bands, but it's like yeah, it's a lot more of a comfortable kind of tour arrangement. Um, the states has always been a little bit, uh, yeah, it's kind of a little bit harder. Um, but the last few tours that we did, we've kind of got it stitched up pretty well. Where we've got a pretty good little crew. Like there's just a few of us, you know, got, got a driver and. Um, Nice. Yeah, sound sound guy, sometimes uh, merch guy, um, and we just we just get an RV now. So for for years we were just doing the van thing, where we were just all crammed into a van, sleeping in the van <laughs> most of the time. Um, but it just kind of worked out that the um, yeah the RV doesn't really cost that much more, and um, yeah, it's way more comfortable. You know, we're all getting a bit older, so we <laughs> we needed to be a bit more comfortable now. So that's. Yeah, not quite as hard as it used to be, but um, yeah, it's definitely definitely a long time to be on the road. But um, yeah, I think we're kind of kind of used to it now, and yeah, we're finding it a little bit easier with the with the, way, the kind of the approach that we're doing, the, how we're doing it now. Yeah, do, do you have a day job? In other words, do you have to sort of take all of your leave in one hit for that sort of thing? Uh, well, I'm kind of um, in a position where kind of lucky that all my work's music based you know so oh, sweet. yeah so if, if something comes up I could just do it you know so um I mean you can't see here but yeah, yeah like my my day job is just like recording like I work in a recording studio of course, I just yeah. like do yeah. I've got my, my studio here which I do a lot of mixing and mastering in um playing play a cover band you know it's <laughs> just got a few things it's all music related which is which what is good because so. that's what I, I play in covers too what do, what do you play the usual stuff you know jesse's girl and all this yeah, stuff. yeah yeah <laughs> that's one of them um yeah it's mainly kind of 80s do a bit of 70s 80s 
kind of starting to leech in, into a bit of it was always the idea it was to do like older kind of really retro stuff but we kind of realized recently that the 90s is like you know fuck, that's going back 30 years now so <laughs> early 90s so the 90s is kind of starting to creep in there for us um it's a bit different for me with the the cover stuff though because um i'm playing drums in that so it's a uh, yeah so it's a kind of yeah a bit a uh, bit of fun for me because it's kind of my, my drum practice, you know, <laughs> get to get up there and play drums. I'm so heartened to hear that. You know, Joe, you are the first person that I've spoken to that I'm aware of at the very least where the subject has come up that actually does that. I've had I've had some people sort of laugh about it and all the rest of it, but, I mean, if it wasn't for playing covers, I simply wouldn't have a gig. It's that simple. And, I look, I have a day job of a journo, but um, yeah. I get to play, God, these days post-COVID, I'm lucky if I sort of play twice a month. But... You know, I, I still I've got a gig on Friday night at the Wallaby down at Majuraba, but yeah, awesome. I just love it. I just love the 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 idea of performing three or four sets. I mean, I'm pretty tired, but you know, God, you know exactly how it is. I don't have to explain mm. to you how taxing it can be. Probably not as taxing as touring in a bloody van, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> by the, it's, by the of, it's, a bit di- it's a bit different though because I guess like um, you know, with the psychoptic sets, you know, we're doing we're doing one set. You know, we're just doing. What is it? Nine, ten, eleven songs or whatever. But like you know, with the cover stuff, you're doing three or four sets. You know, yeah. <laughs> plan for like three or four hours. So it can be just as as tiring. It's obviously not as, you know, I suppose not, not as like punishing to play. But you know, it's just that, you know, that longevity of, of a gig. You know, it's a bit a uh, bit more tiring than the the psycho one sometimes. But um, yeah, like I said, I I really enjoy it. Like it's a, a lot of fun and. Um, I think it's great practice, you know, keeping on top of that stuff. And I always find it, that's always been, like I've always uh, found it a struggle to try and play other people's songs, you know, mm-hmm. um, like other people's style. You know, I, I find it way easier, like if I'm writing stuff and I'm playing my own stuff, like it's like not too much of a challenge for me. But, um, yeah, that's 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 kind of what I get out of the covers, you know, is like I'm learning other people's stuff and trying to play their style and, um, yeah, find that kind of a bit of a challenge and it's a bit of fun. Like with the, with the cover band, I've I've always done the, um, the drums with that, but, you know, I've started, um, started playing a few gigs where I'm, you know, playing the guitar as well. So, um, yeah, trying to, um, hit a few different bases with that. What's the name of the band, the covers band? It's called Montage. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. That's a Try great to make name. it as 80s as we could, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, I mean, it's really good fun because it's um, uh, my wife sings uh, for it as well. So, lovely. Yeah, nice. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Um, Family affair. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kind of our, our night out. Sides. For the both sides for you. You know, you with your brother in the extreme metal band and you're with your wife in the covers band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. That's great, mate. Yeah. She actually does a bit of vocals with the Psycho stuff as well. She's sung on the last two albums. Um, you wouldn't yeah, – it's not very obvious, you know, but she does a lot of the, the backing vocals, like the kind of um, big epic choruses and stuff. Like, okay. She's hidden in there doing, doing – uh, there's just a choir of Amy in there, which is uh-huh. kind of good. I'll listen out for it. I haven't picked that up. I thought it might have been the guitar harmonic. I think that's what might, might have registered because I wouldn't have expected, you know, a lovely female vocal to be as part of the the band's sound. But there you go. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, we try to approach it and when we're doing it. We're sort of 
we talk about it in that way that like um you know i think originally we were going to kind of play around with the idea of just having some you know some uh, soft kind of keyboards or something in there like in the background to fill out you know this in the on the last two albums there's been a few like kind of more melodic sections you know in choruses and that was kind of the first idea was to um you know to bring some keys or something in there and uh yeah we played, played around with the idea with um with amy doing some vocals and it, it worked pretty well but that was kind of the approach like it's still uh, just layers of her to kind of get that sort of effect so it still kind of sounds like a keyboard but um but yeah it's um yeah it just kind of adds another color to it so it's good oh, that that was one observation that i made about the divine council is that it's it's still extremely brutally heavy shit there's no doubt about that but there's a bit of dynamism creeping in that i haven't heard in earlier albums and i think that what you just explained there is part of the reason behind it. So you've, you're obviously taking the band in direction. Forget about it's not that you're introducing more melody or anything like that, but you're expanding the boundaries of Psychoptic. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, um, you know, it's I've had some people sort of talk about, like um, when they're talking about, like, you know, our, our catalogue or whatever, um, they sort of say that, you know, you compare, you compare like the newer stuff to the older stuff, different like you can tell it's like you know it's different and we've kind of changed and evolved over time but i think you can still still tell it's the same band you know so it's Definitely. like yeah. yeah we've kind of maintained a, a particular kind of you know sound and approach to it all but yeah we're just kind of introducing elements and stuff like that new elements and um yeah i think i think over the, on the last couple albums that's probably the biggest change and the, well, the biggest kind of experiment that we've done. We didn't know how it would go down at first. <laughs> we thought, ah, bugger, we'll just try it, see how it goes. But, yeah, people seemed to dig it. We kind of liked how it sounded. So, um, yeah, we've kind of stuck with it for the last couple of releases. But but we're never trying to, like, you know, we're never going to try and, like, uh, force it into it if it, if it, you know, if it's not kind of applicable. But, um, yeah, there's just definitely been – particular songs that, you know, I'll write a song and if it's got that kind of flavour to it and big melodic sort of choruses, it, um, yeah, we'll you know, try some new stuff uh, if it's applicable, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I'm not so familiar with your your deep back catalogue, all the deep cuts from like 1999 or year 2001 when I think your first album came out. Yeah. Normal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how, how long have you? Are oh, you talking about? Yeah, I'll get you saying. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> but um, look, I, I feel like as though this is the album. This I'm talking about Divine Council because you had the EP come out last year, I think it was, or the year before. And I thought, okay, here we go. It's it's there because there were two or three songs on that one there, and I, I think Dicey sent that across, and I listened to that, and I thought, okay, really keen to see where you guys go on the next album. And I, yeah. I feel, yeah, and I feel like as though. You know, I'm not one for grand statements to say that a lot, but I do feel like as though this album here, The Divine Council, I feel like as it as though it's the definitive statement for the band so far. Like it's the album that you threatened to make and now you've done it. Do you feel the same way? I think so. I mean, we kind of, uh, on the last full length, like on the, the Kingdom Drowns, um, that was sort of venturing into the, this territory, but I think... Um, 
Yeah, I, I guess I guess you're right. Yeah, I, th- I think because that one was kind of entering into kind of the realms of what this latest album is. Um, but yeah, we were probably just kind of testing the waters more so on that, and it seemed to at that point we figured that it seemed to work. So um, yeah, the, the new album we just kind of went all in on yeah on these new sort of approaches and new kind of sounds and just kind of I think now we're, we're not really. We're just kind of trying to do what um, what we enjoy, like we're, more like we're, what we'd enjoy listening to. You know, we're trying to write music that we that we want to listen to. <laughs> I think that's kind yeah. of what what we're trying to do. We're not, um, yeah, we're getting too old to kind of worry too much about what people think. So we're just yeah. kind of doing what we like, like the sound of, and um, you know, and I, I think it does make it sound of. Well, I'm hoping it make, makes the album a bit more interesting overall because I, uh, I think it kind of dabbles in a few different, like, um, it f- feels like we're kind of covering all our bases on the new one, you know. There'll be like a thrash number, like a bit more of a slow kind of chunky number and then, you know, more sort of melodic epic number. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of our approach these days, I guess. Mm. The other thing too is you've made Guitar World. Now, you're probably like me in that you grew up reading Guitar World. I used to buy it as soon as I saw it on the news agency. But you're in it now. Is that a bit surreal? Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, definitely yeah, grew up you know, buying the you know, buying the magazines and learning all the the tabs that were in, yeah. the, <laughs> in the back of um yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's pretty crazy to kind of think about it like you know, like that. I don't yeah, I didn't even really think about it until you kind of mentioned it, but yeah, it's yeah, pretty crazy. It's huge, mate. It's it's an <laughs> enormous accomplishment, really, for for an Australian guitarist. You know, we're not in that world over in North America. I know it's a lot flatter these days, but still, I mean, how many? I mean, you're talking about you know, we grew up with Van Halen on the cover. Even Hendrix is on every third or fifth cover. <laughs> yeah, you know, and a- now now you're in it. You know, it's it's pretty. I'd, I'd, look, I'd bank that one, mate. I think it's an enormous accomplishment. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, no, that's yeah, it's good. Stoked. <laughs> <laughs> just just talking about the Divine Council for you. What what are the album's highlights? Um, in terms of the tracks, yeah. Um, <laughs> put me on the spot here because I'm really unfamiliar with the track titles. <laughs> it's so, it's so fresh, like I, that I go by um, just uh, almost like working numbers, like because all our, yep. in my mind, all the tracks are called uh, song six, song seven, you know, song two, <laughs> you know, yep. just the order that I've kind of written them and um, and that kind of thing, um, but. Yeah, from from what there is, there is a couple of standouts for me. Just and it is, it's probably the same with any album. It's always going to be the ones that are a little bit different. I think to what we've done in the past. Like, and it's always you know, it'll probably change over time. But I, I think like a standout for me is I think there's a song called Enslavement or yeah, Enslavement. Yeah, that's one. It's a lot more of a orchestral kind of yeah. sounding. Um, sounding song which is like way different to anything that we've done before um but that's yeah that's that's why i like it just because it's something um you know different to what, we, what we've done mm. and i think exodus kind of uh that's another one that we i think we released uh, a couple of weeks ago 
um, yeah, that, that kind of dabbles with the same kind of orchestral sort of sound and, and all that sort of thing. Um, Amy's pretty heavily featured on those those tracks too. So nice. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think I think they're the standouts for me at the moment. But you know, I, I always find that I change kind of my opinion on songs when, once we get up there and actually start playing them in front of people. So we haven't actually we haven't really had much opportunity to play them and see how they, you know, how they go live. I always find it's it's never like um, it's never intentional, but I always f- find that my um, you know, my standout tracks and like my favorite favorites of our of our material will kind of just change depending on kind of crowd reactions. You know, once we're sort of playing, yeah, uh, playing the songs and just seeing what what songs uh, the crowds kind of respond to, that tends to change my opinion of <laughs> which songs I, li- I like. Um, and it's probably it's probably just natural, you know. Once you know crowds get into you know, fans get into particular songs, you tend to just enjoy playing it. So, um, yeah. But um, yeah, so we'll see. You know, my my opinion could change in a couple of months' time. But at, at the moment, they're probably the two songs that I kind of like the most. Would be yeah, Enslavement and Exodus. Um, yeah. And I can't so yeah, I can't remember the names of the other songs. So. <laughs> <laughs> Exodus is a killer one. It's the last track on the album. Yeah, it's it's definitely yeah. worth waiting for that one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The in terms of sharing ideas with your brother, how how does it work? Do you use a software program to sort of tab everything out and send it through to him with a click track or what have you and say, hey mate, do whatever you think you need to do? Like as you I'll preface what my, my question by saying you don't write riffs in the traditional sense, do you? You write, you write very intricate parts, but the, they sort of repeat, don't they? Yeah, well, it's kind of like our situation is a bit, <clears throat> it's a little bit, I suppose a lot of people would be sort of in this situation now. Like um, none of us really, the only two of us that kind of live down here in Tassie are just uh, me and Pepo, the singer. Mm. So in terms of writing the music side of things, like we're all very separated, you know. So Dave's over in Melbourne. Um, I'm down here. Todd Stearns in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen him for like four years. Actually, this weekend is like the, the first time that I've actually seen him you know, yeah. since like, when was it? Yeah, yeah, 2019, yeah. So, yeah, it's a few years. Yeah. yeah, so it's been a while. Um, so, yeah, we're pretty split up. So in terms of like writing, it's kind of a, uh, yeah, a unique situation. But uh, in, in terms of like writing the music, I, I tend to, um, you know, a lot of it kind of falls on me in terms of like writing the riffs and stuff like yeah. that. Just, um, you know, not me trying to take control of you know, writing stuff. It just, it just makes more sense to do that rather than like, you know, yeah, it, it just makes makes things way, way easier to do things that way. But so what, what I'll do is I'll usually um, you know, sit down and kind of just come up with some ideas and, uh I'm also in a unique situation where I'm like running a studio, you know, so I don't have to really pay for studio time, at least, you know, at, in my own little studio. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of just, um, you know, come in and just kind of lay down some ideas here and there and, you know, leave it for a couple of days, come back and write some more or whatever. So really like the recording process and the writing process is all kind of taken 
place at the same, you know, the same time. Um, so I'll just lay down a bunch of ideas and, you know, it'll kind of like cut it up and like try different uh, arrangements. And when I'm doing that, I'll be sort of, yeah, just programming kind of generic drums to it, just mm. stuff that I think kind of works. Um, and then once I've kind of got a, you know, a song that I think sounds cool, I'll send it to Dave with like, I guess my, my ideas, but generally I'll just send it to him. Like I'll have my own ideas of the drums, but I'll send it to him just without him. So it'll just be the guitar with a click and yeah, he'll just do his own thing. And um, yeah, and you, you know, it's usually way more interesting than what I can come up with. And it, it kind of makes it interesting because you may come up with something that's wildly different to what I, what I came up with and it'll change the sound of the riff. So even though I'm kind of writing a lot of the riffs and a lot of the, you know, the, the music to begin with, it, you know, takes this whole other form once Dave starts putting his parts over it. Um, yeah, that's kind of generally how we've been doing it for the last, yeah, the last couple of albums. Just kind of, and then once he's, you know, written his parts and then we kind of get together and, um, yeah, we'll just kind of record it and, yeah, see how it goes. And then if any kind of, you know, arra- yeah. you know arrangement changes need to be made, you know, once the, the drums are on there, we, you know, we kind of do that after the fact. So it's it's kind of interesting. So by, by the time we've finished, you know, writing and recording, it's like uh, a, lot, a lot of bands would, you know, will have like recorded an album and they'll be familiar with the songs. But um, in a lot of cases for us, like we'll have the album done and then it'll be like, ah, oh, okay, now we need to learn the songs, you know, because <laughs> of, you know, arrangements <laughs> have changed and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting like that. How did it work with you guys growing up? Was it the usual Megadeth, Metallica, into Morbid Angel and Deicide and then your universe just expanded from there? Yeah, very much. Like, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've always been way into, like, the, you know, the thrashier side of things. Um, but I think Dave was definitely the, the instigator of, like, <laughs> you know, um, he got into metal first, like in a big way. And, um, uh, all kind of what is Cause he started learning drums first. Like he got, got into, you know, learning drums and he was already into metal. And, um, and I, I guess I, I kind of wasn't really interested in, I guess, music in general at all, really. But his whole thing was just like, all right, you got to learn guitar. Because we need to start a band, you know. He basically wanted me to learn guitar, so we had somebody to jam <laughs> with. You into it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, and just from that, yeah, I guess, um, yeah, I guess he just kind of got me, got me into metal, you know. I guess, yeah, playing guitar got me into, you know, got me listening to music, and obviously that went into metal. But that would have been, um, that that was kind of the roots. Yeah, it would have been more the fresh kind of stuff, like. You know, the first few songs I would have learnt would have been, yeah, like you said, Metallica songs and, and stuff like that. Mm. So, yeah, definitely definitely that kind of background. Um, but, yeah, D- Dave definitely was on a uh, path to try and find the most brutal and absurdly obnoxious music that he could <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he could. So, yeah. You're of a similar vintage to me, so surely you stumbled over pungent stench at some point. You know, those porno grind band sort of things, you know, and those yeah. weird bands from the 90s that just sort of dropped off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, I, kind of, I kind of never got into that sort of side of thing. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to know whether 
don't know if that was really Dave's cup of tea either, but um, yeah, definitely, definitely aware of them. <laughs> there, there was some weird shit around back then. Even Nuclear Blast had some pretty odd stuff out there, and I, I you know, even some of that uh, Absu stuff. Uh, I can't remember the name of the album now, but they look like Immortal on the back of the album cover. I was a huge Immortal fan and Deicide fan back then. I was probably similar to to uh, Dave in that I was trying to get into the most extreme and fast stuff as possible, especially yeah, Dave's Dave's yeah. way into like the black metal, like in a big way, like. Um, yeah, he was way into it. He still is, like, in a big way. So that's definitely, like, a, a big part of his, you know, his musical sphere. Yeah. Yeah, look, for a review uh, of the 2018 edition of Download, uh, I wrote that Psychroptic were easily the most, I'm reading here, by the way, <laughs> easily the most extreme band I witnessed throughout the day and guitarist Joe Haley wins the honorary Triagzagtoth Shredder Award due to his accomplished performance. There you go. So was <laughs> was, was, was Trey was Trey and, and Chuck, were those two, did they have a big influence over the way you played? Uh, I don't know. Probably not so much as you would think, but probably more, um, I probably would have been more influenced by probably people that influenced them, you know, so they I'm sure uh, they would have been more influenced by kind of older kind of thrash guitarists and oh, stuff okay. like that. So probably, yeah, that probably spills over into um, my playing a lot. Um, so, they, yeah, there could be, you could hear similarities in that, I, I, I assume, would just be, I guess, having a similar background and just kind of growing up listening to the same sort of thing, you know. Yeah, it was interesting, yeah, could, but... I mean, I'm sure there are guitarists out there that sound like you or just haven't heard them, but nobody out there in, in extreme metal sounds like you from my ears. And that's why I'm interested in, in your answers to these questions because uh, it sounds as though it's very organic, the way in which you've approached guitar playing and because you grew up with your your brother and he's he's one of the preeminent extreme metal drummers globally, um, you've got this situation where you're able to sort of link in with each other and it just sort of it happened very like it was a linear progression for you. You went from thrash into sort of tech death, and now you're sort of even taking it far beyond that. Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because, like, so, so I think in terms of metal, like I was like, yeah, I thought more into like you know the thrash side of things and, and stuff like that. But I kind of, um, I definitely didn't just listen to you know, just listen to. Uh, you know, just metal kind of stuff, you know. So in terms of like guitarists, I've um you know, kind of I guess in my teens and early twenties I was kind of getting a lot more into the kind of the fusion side of things and listening to a lot of um those kind of guitarists. And um I have I, I have a lot of people ask me a lot of you know, always you know, inquiring about like um my style with the whole legato thing and like the you know the whole, uh, what do you call it? You know, using the fingers, kind of doing the chicken picking kind of thing. And like, I got a lot of that from I'm a big fan of uh, a guitarist called Brett Garsard, who's um, he plays for John Farnham. <laughs> like, Amazing. I'm actually a massive John Farnham fan. So I'm getting, Good on like, you. Yeah. I have a lot, like a lot of, I'm into a lot of different things. And, um, but his, his style, even though it's, t- you know, totally different sort of things definitely more rock kind of fusion kind of rock sort of stuff. But like he was a huge influence on the playing and I feel like a lot of, you know, 
um, a lot of my technique and just kind of the way I approach playing guitar probably came from that more so than a lot of traditional kind of metal stuff. But I'm just assuming that because I got into the, the metal stuff and the thrash stuff a lot and, mm. you know, and the combination of um, that hybrid picking kind of thing, um, yeah, it probably made this weird sort of meld <laughs> and this good strange sort of style, which, yeah, hopefully makes it sound a little bit unique to, to other people. But um, I'm, I'm assuming that's probably where, yeah, where the difference would come from would just be, yeah, just kind of listening to different sort of, you know, guitarists outside of the, the metal realm. That's amazing. So you probably know bands like After Forever, uh, Tower of Power. Yeah, uh, Tower of Power for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Al Dim- I've spoken to Al Dimiola before for the podcast. Uh, ah, really? Weather Report, you know. I mean, these guys are, are magnificent. Yeah, I, I, I can't. Look, metal fans, we tend to be agnostic, I find. We tend to be able to get into all sort of music, but we, we come back to the home base, so to speak. It's one of the only yeah. genres I find where we're truly the fan. Oh, some fans aren't, but the musicians, I'll make that point. The musicians are very open-minded to to what you just said there. You know, uh, John Farnham's, I, I can't even recall the guitarist's name that you mentioned there. Yeah, I'll have to check him out because uh, Johnny surrounded himself with some magnificent musicians, didn't he? Yeah, and he's pretty much had um, like the core band that he's got. He's pr- it's pretty much been the same band since like '86. <laughs> wow. Like he's just had the same lineup. Brett Garston was there from the start, and um, same out. drummer, yeah. same. Yeah, it's like most of the band. It's the same band that he's just had the whole time. And yeah, they're, you know, banging your players. It's awesome. Ice House, you know, they're doing Great Southern Land in full. I think it is with a symphony. Soon, have uh, you seen that? They're advertising that. They played. Um, they played down here, kind of recently, and I think they. Yeah, I think it was the same. It was that same gig. They were doing the whole, that whole album in full, but um, I didn't even know about it because I think it like, I think it was a show that sold out years ago before COVID, mm. <laughs> and then it just kept getting postponed and postponed until. Um, I was just uh, just here at home one night. We could hear because uh, there's a place down here um, that's up on a hill that's just not too far from from my house. A lot of the bigger concerts happen up there, and it's just open air. So you kind of just hear these bands, and you're like, oh, I wonder what, wonder what that is. Um, yeah, and could just hear. It was obviously Ice House, and we we're like, what? We didn't hear anything about this. <laughs> yeah, then when we kind of researched, we we're like, ah. That was a gig that was, you know, meant to happen years ago. But um, yeah, I'm assuming it was the same, the same one where they were just playing, you know, playing that yeah. album. Yeah, I bet you're getting the chisel as well. Ian Moss, Ian Moss is playing. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love his, I love his vocals. Ian Moss, like, um, yeah, he's a great. Like, everyone, everyone loves Barnsley, but um, I don't know. He kind of. Everyone kind of forgets about how good Mossy is. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I think he's Saturday Night is one of my all-time favourite songs, and I've had to play it before, and uh, it just gives me tingles listening to that. Yeah. And you know, there's two parts to it. You know, yeah. And he's and he still sounds the same. Like you hear him now, still sounds as good. He's he's. I've spoken to the bloke who managed um, the local co- cold chisel show. I can't remember what it's called. 
you know, they all tend to borrow song titles and call it the Cold Chisel Show, a.k.a. blah, blah, blah. But he was telling me how much trouble they were having finding a guitarist that could actually play like Mossy. It's virtually, I'm not saying inimitable, but to, to your point very early in, in the, early on in the chat about, and I find it too, playing covers, it's so hard to nail exactly how somebody plays. But Ian Moss yeah. is just on a different level. Yeah. He's just got such a, like, it's one of those ones where you kind of, to listen to it, you would assume, oh, yeah, yeah, I could play that. But there's just these weird intricacies in his playing that are real wacky and a little bit, yeah, really, really different. Yeah. Yeah, the bass yeah, is really, really hard to emulate. Yeah, trying to – is it Phil Small, the bass player? Um, trying to nail his I, – I play five-string, and uh, I, I long ago switched across to five, and, and a lot of that is because of players like Phil Small because it's – there's no tabs out there. It's not like you go on the internet and find the tab to Saturday night or what have you. You've got to mm-hmm. listen, you know, through the focus right and bang down. Work and it out. Yeah, <laughs> figure it out. And it's like they're using – chords it's like they're doubling up on the so they're using octaves and fifths and stuff when they're playing and i'm sure he's done that a lot of the time but to mimic that sound you've got to choose which one you think is dominant in in the sequence in the in the chord sequence if you like yeah and, and uh it just it, it can make for a pretty interesting night some nights when you when you throw in all of the usual you know pink and um jesse J and then yeah we're going into saturday night and uh <laughs> and flame trees you know, the bass and flame <laughs> yeah. trees carries a song, you know, and you, yeah. you really, you, you've got to get that stuff. I mean, from a, you know, pride as a musician's perspective, you know what I'm talking about. You you don't want to get it wrong. You can get up there and just play the three chords that are part of the song, but it doesn't feel right, does it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, there's like, yeah, in flame trees, what is it? It's like, there's literally like five chords in that. I think so. Five or six yeah. chords. And then the middle eight, but, you know, the thing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're all but, like um, that. Yeah, yeah, it's just all the yeah, just all the little fills, you know, just the little fills, and yeah, like you said, the bass, the bass carrying, carrying a lot of it. There's a lot of the melodies in the in the bass lines for a lot of those those older, um, those are older songs. That's actually something that I've kind of more recently, um, uh, yeah, kind of. Like earlier on with us, with like the psychoptic stuff, like, and I think a lot of bands, a lot of metal bands, a lot of rock bands have the same approach where it's like, you know, the bass players are just there just to fatten out the guitar and they'll just play the same stuff as the guitarist, but on the bass, you know, just like the bass notes or whatever. Mm. But it's kind of just the last few years where I really started appreciating the bass lines a bit more and, you know, trying to experiment with like different inversions on the bass, trying to make the bass. Do its own thing a little bit more, and um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it makes for some yeah, it's a, for a lot of a lot more interesting kind of songs, and you know, a lot more interesting flavors. Yeah, from what from what I can pick up, you're playing bass in the second position, so in the octave a lot of the time, and you're sort of inverting it that way. Is that is that correct? Uh, with the psychotic stuff, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So we're kind of done a weird thing we've we've recently like you said how you've kind of gone to the five string um i think which album probably just probably the last two albums that we've we were running like four string for, for years just yeah just matching the uh the guitar so we, we run the guitar so yeah drop d tuning 
Mm-hmm. And the bass is the same, just drop D. Um, but then we added, yeah, the fifth, uh, fifth string. So we've got a bit of a weird tuning where I've um, done drop, yeah, it's a drop A and a drop D. Okay. So we tend to do a lot of um, uh, anything that kind of goes up to the, uh, you know, when the riffs kind of go to the A string, like on the guitar, we'll make the bass, you know, jump down to the to the octave below. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I've found that's kind of interesting, interesting approach and, yeah, just kind of fattens it out and, um, yeah, it kind of just makes the riff sound a bit more wacky too. Mm. <laughs> you know, like the- it, it kind of tri- trips you up because it sounds like a riff kind of or, or runs ascending. Mm. But then it kind of com- it's kind of confusing because it sounds like it's kind of going down at the same time because the bass will jump down. You're right. I've heard that with your stuff. Yeah, it's like a uh, what's that that artist that does the staircases that are inverted? You know, the staircases no, like they're upside yeah. down and shit. Your music's a yeah, bit like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, David yeah. Bowie from Labyrinth. You know, the, the <laughs> scene where he's doing that yeah. <laughs> in the staircases. Yeah, yeah. With um. With the, uh, this might be a Dave question, but um, just with prosthetic records, look, they they do release some killer stuff, but they're predominantly North American based, if I understand that correctly. I, yeah. I would have, and it does give you reach into North America, which of course is where I know for the podcast, well over half the people that listen to me are from North America. Fantastic to have that reach into there, but Europe's huge as well. Um, have as Marcus and Atomic Fire, or even the Nuclear Blast guys, have they sort of? You know, reached out and just sort of had a chat to you at all ever. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely a Dave question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of a it's kind of a weird. Um, I kind of feel like these days we're sort of in a, in a weird realm, just industry wise, like trying to work out um, kind of trying to work out how things. Could, actually operate you know in terms of like the world's getting smaller for everybody you know people can kind of it's crazy isn't it yeah you know with the whole spotify era and people uh doing doing stuff them, themselves and, and like singles have become a lot, a lot more yeah. commonplace like that's kind of the approach that most people at least in the you know the other um you know kind of the other areas you know it, it, in music and stuff like pop, pop and stuff, they just tend to release singles and stuff rather than albums, you know. Um, and it just seems like the metal world is kind of the only kind of realm or one of the few realms that is still just doing the album cycle, you know, still do an album, you know, tour on it, you know, do an album, which I prefer. I reckon it's way cooler. But um, yeah, in terms of like what that means for for labels, yeah, I'm totally like unsure of like how, how all that sort of works, you know, it's totally not, not my field. Um, d- definitely leave that up to Dave <laughs> with, that, with, that, with that kind of stuff. Cause yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I can't get my head around like how, yeah, how, how things are being approached and how you kind of meant to, to approach things. Like, I don't know if the rest of the world is as confused as me with it all. It just kind of feels like we're all just in a bit of a transitional stage where we don't know, yeah. Do we do albums? Do we do singles? You know, don't know. So yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Look, the the through through the many conversations that I've had on the podcast, it seems like as though we're venturing into a world where it's about content. So make of that what you will. Content yeah. for social media, YouTube, Spotify, Instagram, fucking TikTok. 
I mean, isn't that a dastardly bloody thing? Yeah, and we're we're terrible. And I, I mean, people that you know, kind of, you know, people of our generation and, and stuff like mm. that. It's like we're, we're terrible at it. Like I'm, <laughs> we're I'm so bad with social media and so bad with like content and you know all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess, I guess labels are definitely still relevant for us because we kind of need them to do it for us because we're hopeless. So, yeah. Well, you guys have been going for twenty, you know, twenty plus years, almost twenty five years now. Can you believe it? Given you started in ninety nine. Um, yeah, yeah, it's insane. I mean, you've seen a lot of change in the industry. You know, I mean, you probably did your first few recordings. You know, at home, I'm talking about a four track like I did as a kid too. You know, yeah. you're just playing around with a four track and overdubbing and. Using a drum machine, a Zoom drum machine, whatever it might have been, you know, a physical thing, not a not an app or a software, a piece of software. And these days, it's right here. Yeah, we. I think I live. Plan like yeah, into a tape deck. Recording onto that with another guitar part. They end up with like. You know, to try and overdub, it's just like, you know, it turns into mush after like about four guys that you can barely hear. Yeah, you just get hiss, tape hiss back at you after a period <laughs> of time. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that infamous, depending on the quality tape. I think that was metal heads, weren't they? They were the better ones to use, but they were shorter. They're only 30 minutes. If I remember oh, right. yeah, there was, there was a whole... Uh, there was a whole, whole different world. To it. <laughs> There's a whole different world back then, and and you know, if you were lucky to have an SN58 or something like that, Andy, it always you could hear the difference rather than the remember those Dick Smith mics you could buy, you know, like the Radio Shack mics and stuff you could buy. Yeah, you yeah. know, and depending on it, I mean, I remember doing my first demo live in a in a rehearsal studio. It wasn't even a thought to go into a recording studio with someone like yourself, or but you know, Ian yeah. Redmond, don't you? You know, I've recorded with yeah, him yeah, before. He's, yeah, yeah, he's our um, he's our sound guy. You know, when he's available, he's the, he's the guy we use. So. Isn't he a fantastic fellow? And I got to say, he, he recorded Cross Trigger. I was, it was in Cross Trigger years ago, and, and we guess I still am. You know, we never sort of officially broke up or anything, but um, he's just a lovely fellow to work with, isn't he? Oh yeah, he's like got to be the most chilled out dude <laughs> I know. Mm. Never. He never panics. He's like calm and calm and reserved and in control. I think that's that's a good way to <laughs> good way to describe it. Yeah. Well, just for people listening, uh, if you go to a metal show on Crowbar or Brightside, chances are Ian's behind the desk there. Um, he's pretty much the go-to for a lot of touring bands, I think. And I've seen him at a bunch of shows. And one thing I'll say about Ian is that uh, it might be years in between when I've seen him, but he always says hello. You know, I mean, if we, we, you know, if we can, we always say hello. Uh, if we cross paths, he's not one of those guys who sort of pretends he doesn't know you or whatever and he's got better things to do. He's just a lot, nice guy like that. Yeah, for sure. You know. Mate, I'll make this one my last question for you. Um, just just given how accomplished you are on the guitar, uh, the success you've had, uh, being able to ply your trade as a musician, I mean, you've got all the bases covered, really, the really multifaceted there with the covers, with Psychroptic, with the studio work you're doing. What what would be the piece of advice that you would go back in time and give to yourself when you were starting out, when you were sort of 16 and 18, and you're really the world, you're just green to the world? Oh, God. <laughs> Jeez. Um, I don't know, really. Um 
Yeah, I don't know. I think it did all right. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Especially being from Hobart, mate. I mean, it's one thing coming from Brisbane or Sydney or Melbourne, but Hobart, it just adds that layer of complexity, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially earlier on, it's trickier to kind of, um, you know, a bit more isolated and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so it made stuff a bit trickier to begin with. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's an in- interesting one, something I've never really thought about. So. <laughs> I, I, said, I said something to Gary Gary Beers from In Excess when I, met, when I spoke to him for the podcast. I said, you know, you are the most listened to Australian bass player ever. And he stopped and he goes, yeah, you're probably right. You know, that's it was just one of those weird things. But, you know, you're probably Tasmania's biggest ever musical export. Yeah. In terms of listen in terms of people listening to you and in terms of prominence and stuff. I mean, I was trying to think who else there could be, but um I could be, I mean, I could be completely wrong, but I just couldn't think who it might have been. Who else might Yeah, be there's there. been like I think we were probably one of the earlier sort of bands to kind of get out like to kind of get noticed outside of Tassie. Um but yeah, over I think recent years there's been a few um in different fields, you know, not not so much metal. I'm kind of talking overall. There's been, yeah, a few artists coming out from here that are doing really well. Like um, some guys I know, the Wolf Brothers, they're pretty big. They're getting really big in the country scene. Mm. They've been like back in um, uh, Lee Kernigan for years. Oh, yeah, but like nice. getting really big in their own right. Um, a, a good mate of mine, his son actually, is like absolutely crushing it with the – the whole EDM thing. I think oh, he yeah. just released some, he did a remix that just went like gold or platinum or some shit. <laughs> but, um, different world. That but yeah, it's, it's like, it's like what I, yeah, it's like what we're talking about. I guess the world's getting smaller and I think it's kind of made it easier for, you know, people to kind of get out there and do that sort of thing. So, um, but yeah, definitely early on, I think we, um, yeah, one of the, the, the few bands that, we're kind of pushing to try and, you know, get off the island a bit. Um, yeah. It's int- it's interesting reading the offshore publications. You're not Australian, you're Tasmanian. I don't know whether they, I mean, <laughs> surely they must know that Tasmania is a state of Australia, but it's always. Oh, we've, actually, we've actually had some people, even Australian people, like in the past. Oh, my God. Assume really? that Tassie was like a different country. Like, oh. it's like, really? Really? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's shocking. Yeah, that's uh, that's just sorry. That's just ignorance. <laughs> that's just, <laughs> an Australian not understanding what our although the 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 newspaper. I'm a journo, right? So the Australian did call the ACT a state the other day, and I was like, okay, here we go. Where the hell did they get their degree from? <laughs> you know, uh, Canberra ain't a state; it's a territory. <laughs> so you, you you read this stuff, and it, it just. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm definitely not a grammar Nazi either. He's, he's grammarly. Been, you know, I use some some software to help me with that. But uh, I think if you're in the field, you got to get it right. You know, it's like playing a bum note. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Well, it's been it's been a fantastic chat, man. It's really been lovely to finally catch up with you. Uh, actually, of uh, you know, I meant what I said. Uh, you know, when I was watching the band back in 2018 at Download, you were one of. It was very early in the day, as you can probably remember, but. Uh, you were mm. one of the outstanding bands of that of of the, that entire festival, 
I mean, you know, with bloody limp biscuit and all that shit that was on there, and that <laughs> you guys are on so early, and and it just it, it just proved to me that you can make music, you can stand within your own truth, as it were, musically, and you can still perform before thousands of people like you do. Yeah, cheers. Um, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, so. Cool, mate. Well, look, good luck with the the tour uh, with Scott and the lads. I'm sure it'll be an absolute cracker, mate. I know that looking at the social media comments, mate, they're just universally positive about what their people have heard about the new album, uh, Divine Council, and I'm sure, mate, that the fans will just flock to it in North America, and I'd, I'd love to see you guys up here sometime soon as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, look, looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be great. No worries, mate. All right, thanks very much for the chat. Really appreciate it. Cool, no worries. Thanks, bro. No worries. Cheers. <laughs> there you have it. That was a chat featuring Joe Haley from Psychroptic. What a humble fella. I've noticed something over the years. The more capable people are, generally speaking, not in every instance, but generally speaking, certainly in this case here, the easier they are to actually talk to about things. They're a bit of an open book. Talent, it seems... And humility, well, don't a combination they make. Joe Haley, again, ladies and gents, from Psychroptic. Now, if you like that chat, there are plenty more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com. You might even like to check out my series dedicated to Cradle of Filth. I'm in the process of trying to have a chat with Danny Filth again about the old days. I talk about the old days, people, the 90s era of the group. That's where my fascination lies with the band. And maybe if you like listening to the podcast and even those Cradle of Filth episodes, you will like reading about the podcast and Cradle of Filth because I've written a book and there are many entries Cradle of Filth feature amongst the pages, scars and guitars, conversations from the world of hard rock, heavy metal and beyond. Click on the link in the banner on the website. It'll take you to a marketplace. You can download a sample And if you do complete the purchase, do hit me up because I want to thank you in person. Now, I've got a bit more to tell you about the book, which I'll do so in the moment. But before I let you go to that, I'll bid you a fond farewell. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Please do stick around because I've pre-recorded something that I think you might like to listen to about my book. See ya. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. 
Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, I, just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldina. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.